Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Interception! Matt Ryan! Oh my God! Wie eine Puppe gibt er die Stiffe, aber oh, er fliegt auf dem Boden. Hör doch mal auf! That's the German call of Matt Ryan taking a seat after a turnover against the Saints, and we play that for you because there's a Germany game this year. Seahawks, Buccaneers. There are. Five international games at all. One in Mexico, three in London, one in Germany. Uh, you know, somebody asked me yesterday or the day before about the whole international experiment and has the novelty worn off. It's like it's not for us. It's not. It's not for us. It's for them. It's to spread the virus that is pro football. It's to get more people. Right. Yeah, you know, it's the same 272 regular season games plus postseason games. You're not increasing your inventory. If you can get more people interested in other countries by taking the product there, they consume the same content we do. Billion dollar business becomes a trillion dollar business eventually. Look, here's the one thing I've found out about the overseas games that I think people need to understand about them. You know, I think people should love these games and should want to see more of these games, particularly now. You noticed, with the exception of the Jacksonville Jaguars, can we put that graphic up one more time? With the exception of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are going to be the home team at Wembley Stadium, if you look at all of the home teams... New Orleans, NFC, Green Bay, NFC, Tampa Bay, NFC, Arizona, NFC. All of those teams, NFC home teams. And what's great about, and I'm not a fan of the 17-game schedule, but for teams now 
the Green Bay Packers can say to their fans, hey, we've got eight home games this year, just like every other year, eight regular season home games. And so you now will farm out one game and still have eight home games. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers can say to their fans, hey, we didn't give away Cincinnati at home. We didn't give away Kansas City at home. We still have those games. You're going to see Burrow. You're going to see Mahomes. But we are going to farm out one game of our schedule and still have eight home games. Next year, you know what you'll see? The same schedule and four AFC teams being the home games. And look, the reason that Jacksonville doesn't apply here, Mike, as you know, is that Jacksonville's got a side deal. You know, Jacksonville made an independent deal with Wembley Stadium to play at least one game there every year. So to me, I think when you look at these games, the NFL can say, hey, everybody wins. The one other thing that I really like about these most of these international games, I like the 9.30 a.m. Eastern time game. What, what's, what possibly is wrong with an early game on the East Ask Coast. Ask a Seahawks again, fan. Look, Ask I, a Seahawks fan. I doubt Seahawks, Seahawks fans, fans are very upset. Are going to be happy with a 6:30 a.m. game, but <laughs> but look, it'll they'll they'll have fun with it. Who who knows? But I think for the fans around the country to add a single window early game, I think is a fun deal for most football fans. And, and look, this is the first year that all of the international games, other than the Monday night game between the Cardinals and the 49ers, but the other ones, the European games, are all 9.30 a.m. Eastern starts. That's not an accident. The NFL wants more windows. The NFL wants to pull games out of the cluster of 1 o'clock Eastern and have them stand alone right. for betting purposes. It's all about separating the games as much as possible so people can focus on one game at a time and bet on one game at a time, especially the bets that will happen during games. That's why this 9.30, I think, I think before too long, we're going to see a game every week at 9.30 in the morning. The pregame shows are going to be completely useless all year long, not just on those few Sundays. And one last point before we move on to fill in the blank, as promised. With 17 games now, that's 16 neutral site games that can be played every year. And, and that, that is the fairest outcome. Everybody has eight home, eight road, one neutral site game. We've got five this year. And I think it's just a matter of time before they, they fill up the rest of it. And, uh, or, or you know what's going to happen, though, Peter? By the time we have 16 neutral site games, they're going to have 18 regular season games. And then, then there's going to be an imbalance with the – But Mike, once you get Mike, to 18, you, can't, you I, can't do it like this. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to prolong this because it's all, you know, it's all sort of, uh, you know, a bit of a, you know, kind of a fantastical grab bag or, or whatever you'd call it. But I will only say this, that there are a lot of markets outside of the United States that the NFL very much wants to experiment with and put a game in. And I'm not saying that Australia is next year. I'm not saying that Beijing is next year. I'm not even saying that Dublin is next year. But I can tell you that there are those in the league office that look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Rooney family and say, 
we'd love to put a Steelers game in Croke Park, Dublin, and see 88,000 people go to that game. And so all, I, all I'm saying is that you make the point about the 16 games of inventory, you're absolutely unequivocally correct because the NFL looks at those games as an absolute 16 little pots of gold. And one last thing, you know how all these NFL teams now are looking at foreign home markets? There's four teams in Germany right now that are doing marketing deals throughout Germany. Germany is an incredibly lucrative NFL market. And when you have Tom Brady going over to play a football game in Germany, Mike, next year could be Patrick Mahomes, his time, because the Kansas City Chiefs are one other team with a home market interest in Germany. I'm just saying that not only for the teams themselves, but for every team in the NFL, this is going to be a hugely lucrative part of their long-term best interests. I got a great marketing idea, and then I promise we're getting to fill in the blank. Tom Brady, to take it back to the beginning of the show, tuck rule, marketing for Germany. He can do a whole Sergeant Schultz tuck rule. I see nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> I hear nothing. <laughs> All right. Uh, international game Stalag I'm most 13. looking forward to. That's right. International game I'm most looking forward to this year is what, Peter? <laughs> oh, definitely the uh, Tom Brady in Germany. I, yeah. I just think Tampa Bay playing a real game uh, outside the United States. I want to see Brady Mania and what it's like uh, in in Germany, the first NFL game ever in that country, which has loved the NFL for years and years and years. That, to me, is a fascinating one. I wish it was earlier than week 10 because the Seahawks may be dead and done by week 10. Yeah. I'll go Vikings Saints just because that could be a very impactful game. Both teams trying to find their way with new coaches. And, you know, depending upon how yeah. the first three weeks go, that could be kind of a game that has real implications. If you lose it, you may be done. You know, they've never had one of these games overseas where both teams have had winning records when they played the game. Maybe we'll get it. If they keep playing these games, maybe we'll eventually get to the point where both teams have winning records when they play the game. Ryan Tannehill said this week that it's not his job to mentor rookie quarterback Malik Willis. Ryan Tannehill's comments on mentoring Willis were what, Peter? Needless, because he's a smart human being. I, I, wouldn't he realize what those comments were going to, what they were going to do. They're going to reverberate around the Twitter sphere, around every sphere. When all you have to do basically is say, hey, you know, when I got into the NFL, Matt Moore helped me in Miami. I was, he really was good. And I'm going to be as good as I can be for a guy who is going to be competing with me for my job. And we're going to help each other get better both on and off the field. I want to say they were overblown. If you hear the sound, we didn't have time to play it because we we got too far down the international series rabbit hole, but we we both bear blame for that. Um, I I think it was just kind of a tail on the donkey kind of a comment. It's kind of obvious. It's not his job. And 
you know, the Kurt Warner pushback, why do these guys not want to get the next guy ready? Ryan Tannehill first has to concede that Malik Willis is the next guy. I don't think he's ready to concede that. I don't think he's ready to say, yeah, you know, I'm only going to be here another year or two. I think he wants to stay with the Titans, just like Tom Brady wasn't ready to concede that Jimmy Garoppolo was the next guy in, in New England. It's not the next guy necessarily from the perspective of Ryan Tannehill. So I think it was overblown, and Warner's tweet had something to do with it. I think it's perfectly justifiable for for Ryan Tannehill to have that attitude. It's not his job to mentor a guy that's trying to take his job before Ryan Tannehill's ready to concede his job. All right, Debo Samuel. Hey, Mike. Go ahead. Mike, can I just just say one quick thing? I'm not saying it's his job. I'm saying there's an easy way for this not to be a story for three days. And that's to basically say, hey, we're both going to help each other. I mean— when you say it's not my job to mentor uh, Malik Willis, what do you think that is going to do? It's going to blow I, up. I it just is. Because, you know, there's nobody. We've, we've all got space to fill. Blah, blah, blah. Go ahead. Sorry. Debo Samuel following the 49ers on Instagram again. And also liking, liking an image that was posted by the 49ers where John Lynch says that he, he hopes things will work out. He liked that. What do these things mean? Um, probably absolutely totally nothing. But in the one half of 1% chance that they mean something, I think it would mean that there probably has been some constructive dialogue between the two sides in which the 49ers said, listen, you know, it was going to take an absolutely monstrous deal, two ones from what we all hear to get Debo Samuel out of San Francisco. So we don't want to trade you. Can we please let the dust settle for a while, see how we're feeling on July 1st, and then see what we're going to do here? And again, I have no idea if that happened. The only thing I do know, you know, from the 49ers is that they absolutely unequivocally categorically do not want to trade Debo Samuel. Mike, this might have been you. I forget who it was, but I just saw in passing this week that someone suggested why not have a clause in Debo Samuel's contract that says for 20 carries, he'll get this many. You know, do an incentive, a generous incentive based on how many carries he gets. Because obviously, if you're Debo Samuel, you're worried about the, the length of your career if you're, you're running the ball in between the tackles 45 times in the course of a year. You're going to get a lot more beat up than a normal wide receiver should. That wasn't our idea. My suggestion is very simple. Pay the guy a long-term contract comparable to the other top receivers, if not more than that. And, uh, and mend the fences that way. But I think him following the 49ers on Instagram, again, means everything. That's how folks in that age group send messages. He sent a message when he unfollowed them. He sent a message when he refollowed them. That's good news for the 49ers. And, Peter, my next-level conspiracy theory of the week is that the 49ers wanted the Jets to make that ridiculously low offer so they could help convince Debo that there wasn't someone out there that was going to make the kind of mammoth offer that justified a trade. So we just have to work this out. 
Nobody's giving us anything that we should be expect. Debo, you can't expect us to do this deal where we get a first round pick and give a second round pick back as part of the trade. You're better than that. We, you can't expect us to do that deal. So it, it makes it easier to find a way to stay together. But they're going to have to pay him, I think, or he's not going to be playing this year until he gets something more than that $4 million. Let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to break down the Ravens draft from Peter King's perspective because he was there for a very hectic and action-packed round four on Saturday. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. A lot of people were surprised that you slipped down the board to the Ravens. As you saw the draft unfolding, I'm sure you were a little disappointed that you didn't go in the top ten, but did it make you feel better that you did fall to the Ravens and their defense? Yeah, and that's kind of what I was just saying, like, looking back on it. Um, I mean, it may feel or seem like a big deal now, but, I mean, I think I fell into the perfect place, perfect situation, and um, honestly, it's, it's a blessing, and um, I'm just excited to be here. Kyle Hamilton slid to number 14. Could be one of the best players in this draft if he lives up to his potential at the safety position. The Ravens know a thing or two about having great safeties. Peter knows a thing or two about what the Ravens did, especially on Saturday. Round four, an all-important round for the Ravens. They strategized. They specifically engineered. They knew there would be a lot of talent there. They got maximum picks there. Sounds like it was an interesting couple hours for you in the draft room. Mike, a couple of things about this. When I was getting ready to cover the draft this year, I said, man, it's not a real sexy draft, not great quarterbacks, not really a lot of big stars per se in this draft. But what there was, was there was some real strategy by some teams to say, we're going to trade back and we're going to try to maximize our value like in the third and fourth rounds. And you say, well, why is that? In 2020... The COVID football season in college football, there were fewer good players that came out in the 2021 draft. It was kind of a bare bones draft. But this year, it wasn't great at the top, but there was a lot of make it players in the middle of this draft for a lot of teams. The Ravens got six picks and I arranged with them to sit in their draft room to witness how they would use their six picks. So... The first three came off the board perfect for them because they wanted coming into that day, Daniel Fa'alele, the tackle from Minnesota, Jalen Armour Davis, the corner from Alabama, and Charlie Kolar, a tight end from Iowa State. But this is where it really got interesting. You say, wow, look at that. They took a punter at 130. Why did they do that? And the reason that they did it is that they had information that both Tampa Bay and Cincinnati were interested in punters right after them. Tampa Bay, in fact, took a Georgia punter. The Bengals didn't take a punter. But they had heard that Jordan Stout was going to be picked soon after them. So they picked him. 
And naturally, they would second-guess this when eight picks later that the Pittsburgh Steelers took the receiver that the the Ravens were going to take at 139. With pick 138, the Ravens took Calvin Austin the third. When that pick came through the tinny little speaker sitting on the Ravens' draft desk, Pittsburgh Steelers, pick number 138, select Calvin Austin the third, receiver Memphis. The first thing you heard from one person in the crowd at the Ravens was, you got to be effing kidding me. <laughs> so, so what was, but what was really interesting, Mike, is right at that moment, I looked at Eric DaCosta, the GM, Ozzie Newsom, who's still in the draft, even though now he's a executive vice president slash consultant, and uh, John Harbaugh. I looked at them, and there was no emotion. There was no throwing of pads. There was no all bleepity bleep. There was nothing of that. They just said, okay, let's figure out what we're going to do, and we're going to go with Isaiah Likely, the tight end from Coastal Carolina, asking scouts, okay, you guys okay with this? Yeah. Asking Greg Roman. Do you have a spot for likely? They had just taken another tight end. Yeah, I like him. Let's do it. So they took him. And I got a lot of reaction from this in my story from people who say, oh, the Steelers trumped the the Ravens, which they did. It's a cool story. Oh, the Ravens were unprepared. They should never have taken the punter. They could have done. And so here's what I say. Do you think that... This doesn't happen in every draft room every year that some team is getting prepared to take John Doe and the team right before him says, we'll take John Doe. It happens every year with almost every team. And so this was the Ravens year. They wanted the Calvin Austin speed to replace uh, Hollywood Brown and they don't have it. You know what? They'll figure it out. But it was a cool experience, and I think in retrospect, Mike, I'm really glad I did it because it really kind of showed the inside football of the painstaking approach to a middle round of the draft. It really is fascinating in many respects, and you're right. In every draft room, at some point during that three-day process, you're going to have a team not get the guy they want, and it's going to happen sometimes five picks before, sometimes one pick before that's just the way it goes and that's why you go into it with enough names so you can live you know you scouted enough guys you 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 hopefully never get to the point where you're just saying i don't know who the hell to take next and you know that was always the issue i don't i don't mean to go too far off the rails here when the bengals of 15 to 20 years ago were drafting guys with real off-field issues in like round three, four, and five. That was because they didn't know who else to take because they didn't have a real scouting department. They just told their assistant coaches after the season ended, let's go figure out who we're going to draft. They would get to the point where we don't know. This guy was supposed to be a first-round talent. Let's just take him. And they didn't know who else to take. The, the good teams will have more than enough names. If a guy that's on their list is gone, they'll pivot directly to someone else like the Ravens did from Calvin Austin to Isaiah Isaiah Likely. And you can't afford to get bogged down. It's moving too fast. You can't be emotional. You You can't get upset. And you just have to accept there will be guys. There will be guys you don't get. And you celebrate the ones you do get, 
and you don't worry about the ones you don't. That's that's the one thing that I really learned from that process. And Mike, what was really interesting is that I wake up Monday morning and I have a text from an NFL general manager who texted me and he said, I was, I was like frozen when I read what you wrote about the Ravens because how crazy is this? I was waiting until the Ravens picked at 130, at 130 when they picked Jordan Stout. I was waiting. When that pick got announced, I was going to hit send on a text to Eric DaCosta. And he detailed that he was going to send this text because he wanted the 139th pick from the Ravens. He was going to take Jordan Stout, the punter from Penn State. And he said, so he said, I was so ticked off when, when they took it. And I, and I wrote him back and I said, do you get uh, overtly ticked off? Do you, do you really get angry? He says, no, you can't afford to. You can't show the people in your draft room that, oh, woe is us. We missed out on this guy. So he said that part of it that you wrote that all of the Ravens guys were just, eh, business as usual, that's the draft. He goes, I do that every year because we always lose somebody we wanted. And I never show my scouts or anybody on our staff that we're disappointed. Because then everybody's going to think, oh, man, we got screwed. So I think that was a good lesson to take from this whole process. What did you make of the Marquise Brown comment that he wanted out of Baltimore because of Greg Roman? You know, it... He said last week, nothing against Lamar Jackson, but I just didn't like the system. Well, the system is Lamar Jackson. So... I, I I know that there's a great relationship between Lamar and Hollywood, but it, it's it's kind of hard to separate Greg, Greg Roman, Roman and Lamar Jackson. Yeah, what Mike? I think what I think what Hollywood Brown saw, and the reason why he seemed like a free bird when he got to that uh, when he got to the Arizona Cardinals draft party on Thursday night. Did you see that? that, um, you know, he was flown there in, in uh, Michael Bidwell's yes, private plane. And yeah, and, and, so, and so the interesting thing was, and I found this really, really interesting, that he looked so free and so everything. And, and I, I can just tell you that, you know, I think his level of dissatisfaction with the play calling and with him being given deep threat opportunities in that offense was just very, very limited. And he thought there was no way he was ever going to get paid averaging. It wouldn't matter whatever he caught 90 balls last year. If he's averaging 11 yards a catch, it's just, it's not good enough. And too often, I think he felt like he was a decoy or, 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 you know, he wasn't really used for what he should be used for. And that's why to me, I mean, after the draft, after Lamar Jackson did the WTF uh, tweet, I just shook, shrugged my shoulders and I said, I, just my thing. But Lamar Jackson is good friends with Hollywood Brown. He's got to know how, how unhappy Hollywood Brown is. Okay, so 
knowing how unhappy Hollywood Brown is, he would know that the future there was not really great. So I don't know why he sent the tweet, but in my opinion, it's fairly harmless. And it's probably just whatever dissatisfaction he had, I'm sure is going to go away. I think the last point about this, this puts some significant pressure now on Kyler Murray to kind of swallow his anger and to figure out something short-term at least with the Arizona Cardinals. Kind of like it's Steve Keim a little bit saying, hey, we went and got your guy. You love Hollywood Brown. You loved him in Oklahoma. This is the deep threat that you have wanted. You know, uh, and, and, you know, we let Christian Kirk go. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins not going to be there early, even though they didn't know that exactly at the time. But I do think that this is a bit of an olive branch from the Cardinals to their young quarterback, Kyler Murray. You're right, and it worked. It worked. And I think that fire has been extinguished, and I suspect they'll get a deal done with Murray at some point this summer. The Ravens won't get a deal done with Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson's reaction was aimed at trying to to throw water on the idea that maybe some receivers don't want to play with him. Nothing against him, but if you're not going to be throwing the ball to me, I want to go somewhere where they will be throwing the ball to me. And there's a fascinating question. How much of it is Roman? How much of it is Lamar? What are the game plans? Does Lamar stick with the game plan? Or does Lamar decide I'm going to run the ball even if the pass is there because I know I can get 10, 15 yards based on this crack that I see. I'm fast enough and I'm strong enough to get my way to the sticks instead of risking a ball that could get picked off. Who knows? Because I think back to Roman's time with the 49ers, Peter, and the best example, we talked about this last week on PFTPM, Miles Simmons and I did after this all came up with Hollywood Brown. Playoffs in 2012, Colin Kaepernick runs roughshod over the Green Bay Packers. They get together week one of the next season. Packers are ready to keep Colin Kaepernick from running. What happens? He throws for 412 yards. we, We rarely see a defense load up to stop Lamar Jackson and the, the Ravens air it out. We rarely see it. And I, and I want to know why. Um, and I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that question. I don't think we're ever going to know either, but a lot of times, Mike, in stories like this, and, and let's just talk for one more second about Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown. I think Lamar Jackson has great respect for his coaches and for the play call that is called. And if the play call says Mark Andrews or wheel route of the backfield, uh, wheel route out of the backfield, and, and if Hollywood Brown is like, let's say the fourth option on a play, he's going to live by the progression that the coaches say. Now, again, It's hard to know exactly, you know, in a granular way, the level of discourse that happens. But I really think that above all, you have to look at what a team like Baltimore is. And and look, the San Francisco thing was a little bit different. But what a team like Baltimore was or is, quite honestly, it's a tight end based team. It's a running based team. And if you are a fleet wide receiver, 
you're going to have some chances, but a good chance, it's not going to be as many as you'd like. Well, uh, that's going to be a reality for the Ravens as long as they run that offense. They can draft receivers, but as the receivers progress, they're going to see that their opportunities to get paid and get used more are going to be elsewhere. Let's take a break. We have Weekend Review coming up after that. we got our Friday draft. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Get off my lawn. You mentioned Chris Olave. I hope he becomes a star. I hope he becomes a guy with whom you become smitten because when you're ready to do a Chris Olave song, something to the tune of Volare would be perfect for Olave. File that away. But wait, he's got to prove it. All right, well, hold on. What song are we talking about here? Volare. Like, whoa, I think Olave. I, Olave. I, I think I know what you're talking about. I think I, I yeah. think I do. Yes, that's an old song, There's, but I think I got it. <laughs> it looks more like Jerry Lewis than Dean Martin, frankly. <laughs> Peter knows Volare. Come on, Peter. Peter, you know Volare. Volare. Chris hey, likes to one make of the up items in my column Monday is one of the items in my column is all about how how the incredible price that the New Orleans Saints ended up paying for Dean Martin, you know, with pick number yeah. eleven. I mean, they really wanted Chris Olave, given all the draft capital that they spent for him, which include, by the way, in transfer now. You know, because of what they paid originally to Philadelphia, they basically paid next year's one and next and uh, twenty four second round pick. That goes in the uh, you know all the capital that they had to pay for Chris Olave. Just amazing to see all the different approaches that teams have when it comes to receivers, whether it's drafting in your normal spot, trading up, trading for a guy, paying the guy you have not paying the guy you have and trading him to another team. There's so many great receivers in the NFL right now. And one of the constant themes that I heard all week, I did eight different GM interviews, and whenever the topic came up, what you hear, and we've talked about this before, the proliferation of seven-on-sevens. That's why there's so many great receivers. And I think the position is attracting great athletes. Used to be, think about it. Think about the way high school and, and youth football used to be run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. The best athlete would be attracted to being the one who runs the ball, gets the glory, scores the touchdowns. Now the receiver position is attracting some of the best athletes, so they are becoming the best players in the NFL and the most desirable at a position where every team now needs at least two, if not three, they can get it done if they want to be contenders. When we were first getting going in the whole draft process, this was either February, early March, Daniel Jeremiah sent me two clips, uh, video clips. One was of uh, of the. Uh, it's hard to explain what an incredible play this was. Okay, but one was of one of the primary receivers in this draft playing high school basketball and doing a three sixty dunk, and uh, and and. And and the other one was 
the Williams kid, for, I'm sorry, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, making a catch as a freshman against Clemson in the CFB playoffs in which it looked like he was four feet off the ground. And so I think what we're doing right now, Mike, is we're looking at the age of incredible athletes playing wide receiver, many of whom used to just cast their lot in basketball, and now they're saying, hey, I'm going to try to play football too. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of money to be made and a lot of action. The ball comes your way if you're not in Baltimore. But but that all feeds into it, and there's just so many. And I can't think of a position like this where there are great ones every year that are entering the draft and great ones already with teams that are making a lot of money. You know, with the running back position constantly churning more and more and more, that keeps the market from going haywire because the attitude is we'll yeah. just go back to draft. But now we've got we've got both ends of this, and it looks like it's going to stay this way at least for the time being. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Tom Brady's still going strong in more ways than one. Look at this. Best-selling merchandise for the 2021 season. Yet again, it's Tom Brady. And look, this is only year two for him heading into year three in Tampa Bay. So there's plenty of people out there who don't have Tom Brady Buccaneers merchandise. What amazed me, Peter, is even after 20 years with the Patriots, every year his jersey was at or near the top. Like, how many Tom Brady jerseys do you go through in a lifetime? Do you have, like, one that you wore when you were 10, one you wore when you were 15? One you, I mean, it's just amazing how many jerseys are out there. Patriots and Buccaneers that have his name on the back. And we still kind of wonder whether next year there's going to be yet another team whose jersey will have 12 and Brady on it. We don't know who. Look, yeah, the fact is that as long as you are doing what Brady is doing, you're bringing other fan fans in, into your equation. He's 44 years old. He's going to be 45 this year. There's a lot of people who normally would never get a football jersey and saying, I'm going to get one because this guy is doing something that's never been done before. I think he's just going to keep going. I think he's not even close to being done. We are, though. Enjoy your weekend. Check us out all weekend long at ProFootballTalk.com. We'll see you back here on Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.